Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good to see you guys. You look good this morning. I would say it might have been the vitamin D that you got from the sunshine, but that would be a lie. What sunshine? <laughs> well, it's good to be back. My name's Gareth. I'm the lead pastor here, just in case we haven't met. And uh, just a privilege to be with you this morning. We uh, got to go away as a family uh, for 10 days, and I got to do a little vacation. So I gathered, I have two kids that live on the East Coast. In fact, one of them's in the Middle East now for the next seven months. Uh, so before she left, and before my son kind of got on his summer plans, and my daughter's going to college this fall, we all gathered in Florida. Yeah, they have sunshine there, by the way. I think they call it the Sunshine State, right? Yeah, and it was 96 and 90% humidity. Yeah, yeah. So, and we went to Disney World. Yeah, some of you are excited and some of you know the reality of that. You know, because we went to Disney, you know that I'm now exhausted broke, and in need of a vacation. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> I, I, I thought, you know what, we didn't post like a lot of pe- pictures on Instagram. Some of you are really good at Instagram posts. Like, look at us, we're having a great time at Disney World. So I'm going to show you some pictures of our vacation at Disney World. All right, so the first one, uh, yep, there was just a few people there. Just a few people there. 57,000 actually in the Magic Kingdom, to be exact. Uh, and so, yeah, there were a few people there. And, uh, and some of you now will understand why we don't post on Instagram. Let's post the next one. And uh, this is, <laughs> yep, that's us on vacation. Just keeping it real, folks, right? And then uh, this one might be my favorite one, my three kids. <laughs> She actually was laughing, so, and I got permission, I think. Well, she's in the Middle East, so what's she going to do? Um, anyway, I'm sure that picture anyway, because I love it. Uh, but that was our vacation, uh, because some of you, uh, I mean, Pastor Aaron and Pastor Jeff, man, they love Disney. Uh, Disney World, Disneyland, you know, Disney Paris, like, that's what they like to do, you know? Me, not so much, on the other hand, you know? Like, uh, I think Disney, in many respects, mimics life. In fact, Disney has somehow developed the ability to take something that's supposed to be restful and make it stressful. (laughs) Like, it's supposed to be vacation, but why does it feel like I'm in an episode of Survivor? (laughs) You know, you got to download the app, right? Number one, you got to do that before you go, because you got to understand the layout of the park, okay? So you, you, you map out the park, and you have to figure out which ride you're going to go to. Remember, you have to have A, B, and C options, because if you get to the A option first, and it's got a 50-minute wait, but the B option has a 30-minute wait, you go to that one, right? And so you download the app, then they put 57,000 people in a parking lot, and tell you to walk a mile to get to the security checkpoint where you wait, And then you get through the security pack point and you get to the ticket where they take your tickets or scan your little code and you wait. There's a pattern here, people. Now, what happens is it's like the start of a marathon, 
57,000 people go through the gates, and if you're smart, you gotta get to the back of the park, because if you get to the back of the park, there'll be fewer people there, and then you can work your way forward, right? So you got your app, you're at the back of the park, right? You're running, you know, it's like Survivor, you're jumping over strollers, there's tons of those like electric scooters, there's people with canes whacking you, you know? (laughs) You're eating like turkey legs on the way, your body doesn't have time to digest anything, because you've gotta squeeze everything in in one day. And I think Disney, like humanity, has a hurry problem. And in many respects, Disney is a little bit like the life in which we live, right? I mean, life is crazy. I don't know if you've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed how fast the pace of life works. How many things are trying to capture our attention? How many things we've got to get to, you know? As a father or as a husband and wife, a mom and dad, you know, it's like you've got jobs, right? But then you've got kids and you've got to get kids to music lessons. And then they're in three sports and you've got to get them to practices. And then you've got games and there's a double header and it's raining and they're muddy and it just never stops. Humanity has a hurry problem. In fact, in America... We work probably more hours than any other nation, weekly work week, uh, than any other nation on the planet. We take fewer vacations. I understand why now, because I spent three days at Disney World, so I totally get it. But we live in a fast-paced world. We live in a world that never seems to slow down. In fact, a number of years ago, I worked for a company that gave me unlimited time off. Doesn't that sound really awesome? The problem is I was working so hard and I was so interdependent, I could never take any time off. It's a trick. It's the world in which we live. This week, I was uh, at home, and I was like just moaning because my internet wasn't going fast enough. Anybody else ever moan because they're, you know, all the kids are on devices and all your, everything's like running off the internet, you know? You know, it wasn't that long ago that we had dial-up. How many of you remember dial-up? You know, like, you know, I can't even do the, I can't even do the impersonation, right? But it wasn't that long ago that we had dial-up, but our internet that's like gig speed right now is still not fast enough because we live in a world that just keeps speeding up. And we're all trying our hardest to save time, which is a really funny concept, try to save time in as many different ways as we can. How many of you would be honest enough to admit that if you're at the grocery store and you're approaching you know, with your cart, you're surveying which line doesn't just have the fewest people in it, but also you're looking at the groceries in every cart, trying to assess which one will be quicker. Come on, how many of you? We're in church, be honest. There you go, see? We have a hurry problem, folks. All right, this one might be for the guys. How many of you get on the freeway and you got the little two red, you know, the red lights and the green lights and you got to get into two rows and you're pulling up and you slow down and you go in the middle so no one can get past you, number one, and you're trying to assess, okay, there's five cars there, there's four cars there, I'll get in this lane because then I'll get out faster. How many of you would admit that you have some sort of resentment or maybe low-grade anger when a person behind you gets to go ahead of you? Come on, own it up, own it, own it, that's me, right? We have a hurry problem as a culture. Our world never stops slowing down. It gets faster. We try to squeeze more in. And what it's producing in us is exhaustion, anxiety. We're stressed out. It's all about, I've got to do, deal with and get all of these kinds of things done. And we get sucked into this pace of life that really is unsustainable. In fact, our busyness is destroying our peace. It's eliminating margin. It's affecting our bodies and it's decaying our souls. We're not designed to live that way. 
God didn't create life to be lived at that kind of pace. In fact, there's this frustrating little verse that Pastor Jeff already referred to this morning in Psalm 46 and verse 10. It says this, be still and know that I am God. Now, honestly, if God and I could have a conversation before that psalm got written, I'd like to say, can you just stay, know that I am God? Like, do I really have to be still? Do I really have to slow down? Do I really have to kind of move my life out of this fast-paced, frenetic, anxious-filled, stressful, crazy world pace? Do I really have to be still to know you? Well, the reality is that we were actually created to live from a place of rest. We're created to know a God who loves us and cares for us, who protects us and provides for us, who's with us, even in the most difficult and challenging seasons of life. God is with us. And what we want to do over the next four weeks is we're going to take a look at a very famous psalm, Psalm 23, and most of us in this room are probably familiar with it. We could probably quote it from memory. You hear it at funerals. It's written on cards. If you're going through a hard time, maybe somebody even sent you a card with Psalm 23 written on it. And it's a very famous psalm that David, close to the end of his life, in fact, he's actually being chased by Absalom. Absalom was his son who wanted to kind of rebel and overthrow him, and he wanted to take the keys of the kingdom away from David. And, and David doesn't react to it and fight back, but David says, Lord, it's yours, right? But in this season of when he's being chased by Absalom, of when his life and his kingdom and all the work that he's done for 40-odd years is coming to an end and falling apart because this guy's wanting to steal it from him, David pans this psalm. So it wasn't actually a psalm that was written during a rosy, good, happy season of David's life. It was written during a season of pain, stress, for maybe frustration. And David pens this psalm because he wants you and I to understand something of who God is. Look, the reason why we gather every week, or one of the reasons why we gather, the reason why churches all over our community, our city, our region, this nation, and around the world gather, is that we're designed, and the Bible teaches us this, that we're, when we gather together, we're to be reminded of who God is. Right. See, David wanted us to understand who God is. How do we relate to God? How do I live out this thing called life in the midst of the craziness of the world in which we live? And so he wrote this psalm. In fact, being at the, the latter part of the, the psalm, David's really offering us a different way to live life. And what's interesting about this psalm is that David, who was a shepherd, remember David the shepherd boy? And then he went and fought Goliath, right? And then he becomes king. In fact, David was known as the shepherd king of Israel. In other words, that tells us a little bit about David's heart and how David lived and led the nation. He led it as a shepherd would, caring for a flock, but what's interesting about this psalm is that David doesn't write it from the perspective of a shepherd. He writes it from the perspective of sheep. And what, and what we recognize is that, you know, uh, a shepherd would have a herd of sheep that they were to care for. And what was it like being a sheep in the midst of that herd, being led by the shepherd? That's what the perspective which with David's writing it from. And when you read through that psalm, which I would encourage you to do over the next few weeks, is that we're to read it from the perspective of sheep. In fact, the Bible describes us as sheep. Now, I grew up in Ireland, and so we have actually more sheep than people in Ireland. 
So when you think about sheep and shepherding and herds of you know, flocks of sheep, all that kind of stuff, what I think of is green, you know, lush green rolling hills, leprechauns and rainbows and lucky charms, like, you know, <laughs> sheep that are bleeding and going, bah, you know, I'm happy, bah. you know, they might bleat with an accent, I don't know. <laughs> but that's my perspective of sheep when I think of sheep. That's not the context that David's writing this passage in, this text in. You see, shepherds during David's time were in the Judean wilderness, Exactly that, a wilderness, a dry, arid, almost desert-like place. And so he's writing from the perspective of sheep. The context that those sheep would normally find themselves would be in a dry, arid place. And if those sheep were going to not just survive, if those sheep were going to flourish and thrive and be all that they were supposed to be, right, that, that they needed a shepherd that was going to lead them and care for them and guide them. And this is exactly what David's trying to write to us, the readers, to help us understand that we too are sheep that live in a dry, dusty, arid, desert-like environment that has, tries to take everything from us. But in the midst of that, we have a shepherd. And this is what it says in Psalm 23. I'm just going to read the first three verses today, and then we'll get into the next verses over the coming weeks. But this is what it says, and you're, you're familiar with this, but it says that the Lord is my shepherd. David, who is a shepherd, has been a shepherd, knows all about shepherding, knows the environment, the dryness, the desert-like conditions. He knows it all. Look what the first thing that he says from the perspective of the sheep. He's not focused on the environment. He's focused on the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And then he says this, I shall not want. In an environment that lacked everything that those sheep would need to survive and to thrive. Uh, David had his eyes on the shepherd who would cause him to lack nothing. And isn't that true? We, we live, it says that um, I shall not want. We live in a culture of want, don't we? We are wanting machines. You might be on social media or watching TV or you know, Facebook, whatever the case might be, and it's like, man, I need that. If I just had that, how many of you would just go, if I just had that? And it might be a materialistic thing. It might be some more time. It might be if that was solved, if that wasn't that way. If I just had that, we're wanting machines. But David says, when the Lord is your shepherd, man, you don't want, you don't lack for anything. And then he goes on and he says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. How many of you like to be told, lie down, Right? Like, we don't like to be told anything as human beings, do we? But how many of you as parents know that if you don't put your kids into bed and force them to lie down, there's like a spring when they're younger. You know, you put them in the bed and they spring back up, right? You put them back down, you leave the room and they spring back up and come out. You know, it's like, we don't like to be told to lie down. But how many of you know that as a parent, if I don't get my child some rest, they're going to be a, a monster the next day? See, our father who is... A good shepherd knows and makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
And so David the shepherd is writing from the perspective of the sheep in the context of this desert-like environment. And what he's recognizing is that I'm not looking at my circumstance. I'm looking at my shepherd, my father, my God, my king, my Lord. And he's the one, because I'm looking to him, I don't want for anything. He's the one that makes me lay down in green pastures, even though everything around might be arid and dry. He's the one that leads me beside still waters because if they're rushing waters, sheep are nervous, sheep are defenseless. It takes a lot for sheep to rest and to calm down. And so David is leading, or he's looking at the shepherd who is leading these sheep to a place of flourishing. They're fed, they're watered, they're safe, and they're, uh, they're flourishing in a secure sense of well-being. In other words, they're at rest. They're at rest. Now, let me ask you a question. If your boss was to come to you tomorrow and, you know, say, hey, come on into my office. I want to chat with you for a bit. You're like, uh-oh, what's up? And uh, he, he or she goes, man, uh, I just want to let you know, you're doing such a great job. In fact, you're doing such a great job. I just love having you a part of the team. You're so efficient and, and productive and getting all these things. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you, with no reduction in pay, from this point forward, I want you to work four eight-hour days a week, and you are going to have a three-day weekend every weekend. I'm giving you Fridays off. What, for like the month of June or like the rest of the summer? No, 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 indefinitely. How many of you would take that deal? Okay, the rest of you are lying. (laughs) How many of you, if you had the opportunity to retire 10 years early, would take it? Oh, there we go. Some some of you are retired in the room and you're going, na, 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 right? (laughs) Here's the thing. Every single one of us in this room desires, longs for, wants to rest, but most of us don't know how to. We have the desire to rest, but we don't know how to. And what this psalm teaches us is that, you know, while we might be really good at playing, right, we can kind of numb and binge on Netflix, and maybe we have hobbies and activities and things that we do. You know, you think about your summertime and think about your week and how you cram it full of all kinds of stuff. We know how to play. We know how to do that kind of stuff. We know how to work hard, play hard. You know, you know all that stuff. But the problem is that most of us don't know how to rest. And what this passage of Scripture teaches us is that without a shepherd, sheep can't rest. And in the same way, without a shepherd, we can't rest. We don't know how to. We go, go, go. We live in this world of hurry up, more fast paced, cram more in, do more of these kinds of things. And so today, I want to just take a few minutes to explore what does it mean for you and I to be still, for you and I to rest. The Bible uses this little word called Sabbath, which literally means take the day off. And and oftentimes, we just blow right by it. Even the days off that we have, we fill it with all kinds of activities and things that we got to get done, and we never actually reach a place of rest. But you and I were designed to live from a place of rest, not strive after it. And there's a few things that the Bible teaches us that that we need to understand. And the first thing is this, is that rest is a commandment. Whoa, that sounds kind of heavy, Gareth. Like, actually resting is a commandment? Now, we know the Ten Commandments, or most of us probably in the room know the Ten Commandments, right? You know, have no other gods before me, don't use my name in vain, don't murder, don't commit adultery, do all those things, right? Most of us would be aware of that. And oftentimes when you think of the Ten Commandments, we, they're kind of serious, aren't they? These are God's laws. 
that we're supposed to live out and live by, right? And there are this rule for life that we're supposed to kind of obey these things, right? And the challenge for us is that we've maybe misconstrued or mislooked at, or the the Ten Commandments have maybe gotten a little bit misrepresented in the world in which we live, because the Ten Commandments, yeah, they're God's kind of code. I mean, he had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he's forming them into a nation, and he's saying, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God, and I've got these uh, life-giving things that I want you to live by, because I want you to be set apart, sacred. You're different than every other nation in the world. And so he gives them these Ten Commandments. They're, They're a covenant that God is making with his people. In fact, they're supposed to be life-giving, not drain us of life, not to be some sort of set of rules that we got to live by, and if I miss it, I'm going to... Because we can never do that. And so Jesus fulfills the law, but the life-giving principle described in the law continues on. You and I, there are life-giving principles for us if we go back and look at the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are broken down into two groupings. The first group of four, it's kind of a three plus one, are all about God's relationship with you. And the first commandment, if you remember, is like, you're going to have no other gods before me. Well, that makes total sense because if God who created everything is absolutely all in on you, he's for you, there's a covenant that he wants to make with you, he's pushing all his chips in on the middle of the table. In the same way in marriage, you do the same thing. You make a covenant, and so you don't want to have anybody else ahead of that person, right? Well, in the same way, God's saying, don't put anybody else ahead of me. I'm the one that created you and rescued you and designed you. I know how you best function. And so make me first in your life. Give me priority. He goes on and he says, be faithful. There's a fidelity and allegiance, a loyalty that God wants from us. And then he even goes on and he says, now don't use my name in vain. And we all think that that's like, you know, using a swear word or something like that. What God's trying to communicate to us is, hey, you're going to take my name upon you. So don't abuse that. Don't misuse that. Like live out the name that you've now been given as a son and daughter in Jesus Christ. And so the third one, or the fourth one we'll get to in a minute, but the, the first four are all about your relationship with God. And the second six, because of your relationship with God, the second six are all about how you live out your relationship with other people. So if I'm really faithful and loyal and allegiant to God, then I don't commit murder. How many think that's a pretty good thing? In fact, Jesus in the New Testament says, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. I say, don't even have hate in your heart. Boy, that's really hard to do in the world in which we live, isn't it? God wants us to live free, to love, and to care for other people. Why? Because of our relationship with him. And so these are life-giving things that God gives to us, these principles for life. God's giving us the Ten Commandments because he wants us to flourish and thrive in life. Now, here's what's really interesting. Between the first three and the last six, the fourth one, that's my math. I'm really good at math. The fourth one right there is actually the one that the Lord spends the most amount of time talking about. In fact, he mansplains it because maybe we don't understand it. And so in Exodus chapter 20, and if you have your Bibles turned there, if not, it'll be on the screen. God mansplains. You guys know what I mean when I say mansplain, right? You know, us guys, we tend to over-explain everything, right? Because we really want you to understand. Well, God's explaining this idea of rest to his people. Think about this for a minute. It's a commandment to rest. And God says this in Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. 
In other words, sacred, set apart. Now, we're not just talking, we're not talking law, you know, it's kind of okay, I gotta set aside a, you know, kind of Sunday's the day. It's that your Sabbath might be a different day of the week. Mine's Friday because I need to unplug and disconnect from life and the craziness, the busyness of life. But what God is wanting us to understand is that there has to be time that's set aside, that's sacred to rest. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So we do have a responsibility to work. We know that Adam and Eve were put in the garden to work. Work happened before the curse, right? Work is a good thing. It's a God thing. And so six days you work, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath is to the Lord your God. On it, you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, any of those who sojourner with you within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. So God's actually pointing to himself as an example and saying, in the six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that was in them and rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed it, blessed the Sabbath day, and he's the one that made it holy. And what God is trying to help his people understand is that you were actually designed for rest. You're designed to live from a place of rest. And we're going to discover what that means in a few minutes, that, that what I'm not talking about is just kind of go play, binge on Netflix. That's not what God's meaning when he says to set aside the Sabbath or set aside time to rest. But God designed you to live from a place of rest. In fact, here's what's really interesting. This is the only commandment of the Ten Commandments that actually is found in the creation story. God told Adam and Eve, remember Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day. So all this stuff happens. God creates Adam and Eve on the sixth day, which means that the seventh day is their first full day of existence. And what did they do on the seventh day? Rest. God said, I'm going to rest now. And the first experience that Adam and Eve, the first experience that God, that Adam, that humanity had with God wasn't, now get to work. It was no rest. Look at all that I've created. Breathe it in. Appreciate it. Take time to delight in it and enjoy it. I've created all of this for my glory and for your good. And the first thing that I want, I want you, Adam and Eve, to understand is that you are created and put in the center of this whole thing. Now, we're going to get to work, but I want you to start with rest. I want you to start with delight. I want you to start with engaging with me. And everything rested. This is how God started everything. And God created Adam and Eve to rest. Like, they had done nothing to earn that day of rest. Why? Because God created us to live from a place of rest. Which actually makes a whole lot of sense when you think about your life. Remember, you had nine months in the womb before you ever came out and had to get on with life. Rest first, right? Think about your childhood, right? Before you ever started a vocation or career, and for some of you it might have been 15, 16 years old, whatever it might have been. Like, before you did any of that, you were given time just to play and to rest and delight and be a child. Think about, you have six days that you work, but God gives us a day to rest. It's a commandment that he actually gives us. The problem is that it's probably the commandment we ignore the most. And yet God says, no, I designed you for rest. I love what A.J. Sabota said in his book, Subversive Sabbath. He said, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do. Rather, we are who we are loved by. 
Ooh, that's a powerful thought, isn't it? Sabbath and the gospel scream the same thing. We do not get to a place where we finally get to breathe and rest. That's slavery. Rather, we rest and breathe and enjoy God that we might enter into rest. God has designed us for rest. God has designed us to unplug, to disconnect from the hustle, the bustle, the craziness, the frenetic pace at which our life lives, all the things that kind of have to go through our mind and things that we got to take care of and the kids have got to be here and we've got to do all that. This, I ask you, where in your life, during your week, during seasons of your life, are you taking time to step back, to disconnect and to delight in God, to delight in his creation, to delight in his goodness? See, The psalmist understood this. He's my shepherd. I shall not want. He's the one that leads me into green pastures. He's the one that causes me to lay down by streams of living water, still water. You and I were designed for rest. And what God's wanting us to understand is that God is wanting us to disconnect from the hustle and the bustle and the craziness, all the things that preoccupy our mind. And with all of the technology that is around us, it's even harder sometimes to do all of that. But where in your week do you disconnect? Where in your week do you unplug the phone? Where in your week do you step back from all of the responsibilities and all of the activities and just be a son or a daughter? Just connect to God. Now, what I'm not trying to describe is some sort of monastic existence for half a day on a Saturday or something like that. But what I am suggesting is that we've got to be intentional about unplugging in the craziness of the world in which we live in. And for me, I've had to learn over the last number of years, I like work, which makes it even harder. I like the people I work with. I like the work that I do. And I'm always thinking, and I've always been kind of that way. But a few years ago, the Lord really challenged me in this area and says, Gareth, where are you disconnecting and just plugging into me, just allowing me to be father, to be the one that watches over you, a shepherd to you? And it's then that I, you guys know, I love to hike and bike and do all these kinds of things. In fact, yesterday, I went for a 23-mile bike ride. If you went far enough out into the gorge, there was actually some sunshine. And so I found it, and I was out with a couple of guys, and we were cycling uh, together. And uh, they're way better and way faster than I am, so they're way ahead, right? You know, and I'm like trying to get up this hill and all the rest of it. But man, I'm just like looking at nature around me. I'm praying. I'm thinking about some things. I'm just kind of telling God how wonderful, how good he is. And you know, in that moment, I can't pick my phone up because I can't ride the bike and look at the phone, right? I'm not thinking about or trying to address a problem or deal with a situation. I'm just present with God. You see, God designed you to be present with him, but so many of us, because of the pace of our life, and because, if I'm honest, we ignore the commandment that God gives us to rest, we never get to that place. So rest is a commandment. But the second thing that we recognize is that rest is a sign of God's covenant with you. Rest is a sign of God's covenant with you. But it's not just a sign to you, It's actually a sign to the people around you. You see, the Bible teaches us that we're salt and light. The Bible says that your witnesses are ambassadors of the kingdom of God to the kingdom of this world. God's actually placed you here on this planet to live differently, to live out of rest, to live from a different place in life. And so the Sabbath or rest, this idea of disconnecting and connecting into God and living from that place, this idea is actually a sign, a covenant to you, but it's also a sign of the covenant that God wants to have with others. 
When your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends kind of see, man, they seem to live from a different place. They don't seem as frenetic and anxious and stressful. Like, like they're living from a different place. The Sabbath, a rest, is a sign of the covenant that exists between you and God. This ring on my finger is a sign of the covenant that exists between my wife and I. I made a commitment. I made vows, promises to her that she was going to be the first in my life, that you know, come, you know, whether it was good or bad, in sickness and health, all of those things, I'm all in on Jenny. And this represents, it's a sign of that commitment that I made to her. Well, in the same way, the covenant of, or the rest, Sabbath rest is a covenant sign that God wants to be the one that is first place in your life. That it's not all up to you. It's not all about you being self-sufficient. It's not all about you working harder and faster and stronger and smarter. And I've got to do all of these things so that we can maybe eventually get to a place of rest. That everything would just work out because I put in all of the effort. In other words, what God wants us to understand that our efforts, our productivity, it's not like, you know, when it comes to your finances and your kids' future and your retirement, yes, we have a part to play, but what rest wants and what God wants us to understand through Sabbath is that God wants to be the one who's your shepherd, who causes you to lack nothing, who leads you to green pastures and leads you to still waters. God wants you to live from that place, not a place of self-sufficiency. There's a guy by the name of uh, Brady Boyd. He pastors a church out in Colorado Springs. He wrote a book called Addicted to Busy. And he said this, by choosing the Sabbath, in other words, choosing a day during the week, it doesn't have to be Sunday. And for me, it's not Sunday, it's Friday. I am protesting and rebelling against the innate desire that I have to trust and to worship my self-sufficiency. Ooh, that's words, right? Like, God's saying, you're rebelling against, you're protesting against this idea that it's all about me, it's all up to me. Rest causes us to live from a different place, to recognize that it's the Lord who's our shepherd, it's the Lord who provides, it's the Lord who protects, it's the Lord who is with us. And he goes on and he says, so it's literally, Sabbath is a protest. I cannot do this on my own. I cannot do this by myself. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to be a son during that day. I'm not going to be a pastor. He pastors a church. I'm not going to be a ministry leader. I'm not going to be whatever title you have. So whatever your responsibilities are, whatever title you have, whatever kind of function, role, identity that you have in life, on the Sabbath, on these times when you're intentionally disconnecting from all of that, you're saying, I'm just going to choose to be a son. I'm just going to choose to be a daughter. And he continues and he says, I'm going to lay that aside on the Sabbath. I'm going to be a son and he's going to be the father. He's the potter and I'm the clay. He's my father and I'm a son. I'm going to get my identity back. See, Psalm 23, and God has designed us for rest. And rest is about a healthy you connected to a loving God. But so often we ignore the commandment. So often we don't recognize that it's actually a sign of the covenant that God has with us, that God wants to be the one who provides for us and who walks with us. He's the one that's in charge. The Bible says in Psalm, or Proverbs 3, right? You know, trust in the Lord with all your strength, right? You know, don't, don't lean on your own understanding, right? But in all your ways, acknowledge him. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. Let him be your shepherd. Be intentional about living from a place of rest. The last thing we learn about rest is that rest gives you back your soul. Rest gives you back your soul. 
It says in Exodus 31, 17, it's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel or God's covenant people that in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. So there's that whole sign thing, right? This is a sign that I'm with you. This is a sign that I'm your God. Are you responding? Or are you still trying to live it out in your own strength, in your own self-sufficiency? Are you letting him be the shepherd? That's the sign. But then he says this. It says, on the seventh day, God rested. Okay, I get that. But he was also refreshed. Wait, God needed to be refreshed? Like, I get that God worked and, and he rested, but God needed to be refreshed? And actually what's happening there is that the word there for refreshed literally means to exhale. How do you do this? What God's doing is he's worked for six days. He's looking at all that he has created, all that's designed to glorify him, to roll up into praise and adoration. He created it for Adam and Eve and all of humanity to delight in and to joy and to have all that they need that we'd find their deepest joy and satisfaction in him. And God, it says, is just refreshed as he steps back. It comes from the root word that literally means to get your soul back, to get your life back, to get your desires back, to get your passions back. And some of us in this room are living from this place of just, man, you're just stressed, anxious, you're just beat up, you're tired, you're exhausted because the world in which you live and the life that you lead is just never ending, never stopping, always going. A number of years ago, I, I worked for uh, City Bible Church. It was then City Bible Church here in town. And uh, my job was to rename, uh, I'm trying to rename a church that's like 70 years old. That's not an easy task. And, uh, and so my job was to rename and rebrand this church. And uh, I, I, it was about an 18-month journey. And honestly, in those 18 months, uh, I was probably working 60 to 70 hours a week most weeks. And I felt like in that season that, man, if I, I can't drop the ball, I've got to help this get through. I've got to make sure that this happens. And I'm, I'm a bit of a workaholic. I'm not frightened of work. I was raised with a strong work ethic. I love to work. And, but, but what I was doing was I was owning stuff that wasn't mine to own. And so here I am working 60, 70 hours a week. And honestly, I became a different person. My wife and kids in that season, man, I, I took them through the ringer. Because I was so focused on this thing that I had to get done and what was consuming my life and the work that had to be done. And it all had to get done. And I had a friend, you know, the Bible teaches us that faithful are the wounds of a friend. And uh, he came to me and uh, he sat me down and, and he said, Gareth, man, you're just working so hard. You're just doing amazing. And, you know, everybody looks at you and thinks you're Hercules. You know, Hercules, 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 right? You know, here I am working hard, you know. But he says, I got to tell you, man, you're bleeding out your ears. You're like some sort of superhero that's working all of these hours and able to get all of this stuff accomplished. But man, you're killing your family. You're killing friendships. You're destroying the relationships of the people that you work with because, man, you're just driving through to try to get this thing done. And it was like a wake-up call for me. It was like, here I am not living from a place of rest. Yes, there's work to be done, and the Bible has a ton to say about that, and we ought to be diligent in the work that God puts in front of us to do. But there's a place from which God wants us to live and operate. It's a place of rest. It's a place of disconnecting from all the craziness and plugging into him, delighting in him, finding refreshing in him. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Matthew eleven eighteen. 18. He says, hey, 
come to me, come to me. All you who labor are heavy laden. And then what he just said, I will give you rest. And as we head into this summer, I think we have a choice. You know, many of us have kids and grandkids and the life shifts and changes a little bit during the summer season. The weather, I promise you, the weather's going to get better. And what's going to happen is that, you know, if we're not careful, we can go into this summer, we can go into this season, we could even go into this week and just be crazy frenetic about all the stuff that has to go on in life. And what'll happen is that we'll get to September when the kids go back to school and work picks back up and who knows what else is going on in the world and culture in which we live. But we'll get back to September and we won't get to that place refreshed and renewed because we've disconnected and taken time to breathe and just be with Jesus and have spent time with him and learn to live from that place. We'll get to that place stressed out, anxious and exhausted and wonder where am I going to get the strength to face the fall? And I want to ask you this morning, not just for this summer, but I want to ask you in the context of this crazy world, this frenetic pace, this never slow down, cram more in, try to save time where we can. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Go, go, go. In the midst of all of that, God gives us a choice. Will you come to me? Will you learn to live from a place of rest? Will you carve out some time? Maybe it's just 15 minutes in the morning. I'm going to sit out on the back deck, or I'm going to grab a cup of coffee and shut the door. I'm just going to quiet my soul and spend some time with him. Are you going to take some time throughout this summer, maybe pick a day a week, and I'm just going to take a couple of hours. It might be puttering around the yard and just kind of doing the phones inside. I'm just out in nature. I'm just go for a walk, go for a hike, ride a bike, do something that disconnects you and allows you to live from a place of rest. That's God's invitation to us this summer. That's God's invitation to us as those who follow him and how we ought to live life. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to, I know I've gone a few minutes over, but um, there was a baptism and Jeff went a little bit long and I'm spreading the blame around, you know? <laughs> but I don't want us to miss the opportunity that the Lord is giving us right now to make a choice. I'm going to have the band come and sing this song and as they sing it, I want it to be a, a song that the Lord is singing over you, that you, in the midst of the next minute or two, couple of minutes, that you would make a choice, a decision. Man, I'm giving up on that whole frenetic pace stuff. Yes, I've got responsibilities, but I'm going to learn to live from a place of rest. God's inviting you to come so that he can give you rest. So let's do this. Let's stand together. And we'll have the band just sing this song over us. You might be able to pick it up and sing it with them. And then I'm just going to come back. We're going to close in prayer. I believe the Lord's going to minister to us.